0: Okay. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in our service as we uh, go to our sermon today. Please join me in prayer. Father, I pray that you speak to these people beyond the ability of what your servant could do. I pray that you remind them of your mercy and your grace and of your power that can awaken dead and sleepy souls. With the shocking news of the gospel and i pray that as you do that you would also help our heads be attuned to what it is you're trying to tell us from this passage and that you may give get all the glory as you build up your church in the foundation of your word by the power of your spirit through the blood of your son for the glory of your name in jesus name and in his name alone we pray amen Okay, so friends, we're continuing today in our sermon series, the book of Acts, and today we're going to start chapter 18, and I got to be honest, in the past few weeks, although different passages have told different stories, the overall story of the book of Acts for the past few chapters have felt a bit repetitive, hasn't it? It's really just been about how the leaders of the early church have been going around And preaching the gospel to the people and to the cities around them. That's really the gist of the past few chapters. And um, it could feel a bit repetitive. But be encouraged. That's okay. Let's just take this repetition as a clue from God that apparently he really cares about this topic. And that he really wants this topic to grow deep into the heads and the hearts of his people. Why? Because... If you're a Christian, then sharing the good news of the cross to other people, that's not just something you do, is it? It's who you are. That's why God cares about this. He wants you to be who you are. Recently, I have seen an exponential increase of parents posting baby pics on Instagram. I think I may be one of those as well. That's been posting pictures of my kids, and that's, that's great. And we'll see a few more of those, I'm sure, after today's baptism. But here's what I want to ask you. <clears throat> Why do you think parents get so excited about sharing pictures and talking about their kids to other people? to me, I do it too. Why do we do that, parents? We do that because parenting our kids isn't just something we do. It's who we are. And when you love someone or something that much to where that thing or that person becomes a part of who you are, it's just going to be hard to keep it in, whether it's your child or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or a sports team or your hobby, whatever it is that's seeped into you, it's going to be hard to keep in. It's going to somehow find a way to ooze out of you in one way or another. And what we see in our passage today is that this is why Paul shares the gospel to other people. It's not just because it's something he's supposed to do. It's because it's a part of who he is. As it should also be a part of who we are, Christians, those who believe in Christ as Lord and Savior. But unlike Paul, we often hide Jesus deep within us, don't we? We often imprison that foundational piece of who we are from the rest of the world out there. Why? A few reasons. But before we get into it, let's first read the passage that the sermon we based on today. This is the Word of God taken from Acts chapter 18, verse 1 to 17. This is the Word of God. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law, When Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about your words and names on your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Thus says the Lord. Okay. Long passage, but I want to point out at least three reasons for our passage today as to why we, unlike Paul, I think, often hide the gospel that we deeply love inside of us, hidden here, instead of sharing it with others, okay? And it's because, one, we're overly consumed by our other identities, two, we're scared of being caricatured by the world, and three, we don't want to be misunderstood and abandoned, all right? Let's start with the first point. Why do we hide Christ in here? Because we're overly consumed by our other earthly identities. What do I mean by that? Let's start off with verse 1. What do we see there? In verse 1, we see Paul continuing his journey of gospel preaching, right? Now he landed at a city called Corinth. Corinth was a major urban city at the time. It was under Roman rule still, And had a population of both Jews and Greeks, like most urban cities would be, right? Multicultural, verse 4 says. And in the city, verse 2 says, Paul met a couple named Aquila and Priscilla, who, verse 2 also explains, were kicked out of their homes in Rome. Now, this is historically accurate because during that time, there was a Roman emperor named Claudius who came out with a verdict that said, anyone who believed in Christus. Which is how they actually spelt Jesus' name in the actual original decree document. Anyone who believed in Christus had to leave Rome. They had to get out. Okay, so Aquila and Priscilla were one of those people. They were kicked out of their hometown. They went to Corinth where they met Paul. And the three of them decided to partner up and do business together. Look at verse 3. Why? Because it says that they happened to be in the same industry, which was tent making. that's what they did that was paul's job that was his trade that was his occupation for a while but now here's what i want to point us to look at verse five paul's earthly occupation was not the thing that consumed him the most look at verse five it says that when two of paul's friends silas and timothy arrived from macedonia to visit him what did they find paul doing Paul was occupied, verse 5 says, with what? Not with tent making, but with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. He was occupied with the word. Now, the word occupied here in the Greek has a much heavier meaning than what we see in the English. In the Greek, it means to be absorbed by, to be sucked into, to be consumed by. So this verse really translates to something like this. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was absorbed by, sucked into the word. What word? The word that testifies that the Christ, which is the Savior that the Old Testament mentions mentions over and over again, the Messiah, the Christ, the Messiah. Who is that? That is Jesus. That piece of truth consumed his whole soul. Not tent making. Tent making was something he did. It was his occupation. Sharing about Christ is who he is. It was his identity. Now I'm not saying abandon your job. I'm not saying be less excellent at it or care less about it. Not at all. You should be excellent at your job. You should do it well. Productively, meticulously. However, this passage does ask the question what is it, Christian, that is currently consuming you the most? What has occupied your heart? Is it your earthly occupation or is it your heavenly identity? When you chip everything about you away, when you boil everything down to the chorus of your core, what's left? What will people see? A CEO? A lawyer? A doctor? A venture capitalist? A teacher? A parent? A husband or a wife a pastor now these things are very important identities they're unbelievably important and God calls us to take them all seriously but they all will one day pass away it'll end none of these things are forever But yet more often than not, we let those things define us most, don't we? And we let those things, we show those things to the world, not our heavenly identity. And I struggle with this too, by the way. What do you mean, Tez? You preach the gospel every Sunday at church. Well, yeah, because it's my job. I'm a pastor and it's Sunday. What else am I going to do? Preach the gospel. But once it's moved out of my occupational realm, I struggle with it too. I do. It's not easy for me to share the gospel with the world out there. Now, I've shared this story before. But a while back, I had this impromptu high school reunion with my high school friends from Global Jaya. Some of you here know me from back then, unfortunately. So one of my friends just opened up a a pizza joint in Kamang. So he invited all of us there to just kind of, you know, reunion, get back together. And everyone, of course as these reunions go, share about what they're doing now, share about their lives now. And they all knew, one way or another, that I became a Christian, because I wasn't before, I became a Christian, and I became a pastor at that. And then the sharing went around the table, and eventually got to my turn. And they asked me, why did you decide to do that? Because if you knew me in high school, you'd be confused too. Why did you become a pastor? And it's like, God set this whole thing up for me on a silver platter all i needed to do was hit a home run it's just it's like it's right here you know just go with it and i should have said i became a christian i accepted christ i became a pastor because i realized that no matter how much good i did in my life it could never wash away my sins and no matter how religious or moral i became it could never make me good with god I became a Christian because I was absolutely shocked and shattered by the fact that God would come down and die on a cross for a sinner like me. And because that news messed me up so much, in a good way, I now want to share it to other people, full time, until God calls me otherwise, if that. That's what I should have said, but I didn't. I froze I got scared and I don't know what I said but it was some roundabout answer that did not proclaim the gospel as clearly as I just did as easily as I did here on Sunday morning on this pulpit why why did that happen for me because I wonder if at some point in my life sharing the gospel has become an occupational hazard and it's no longer something that's oozing out of me like it was for Paul so naturally not I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this at some point our souls tend to forget that initial feeling of when the cross first shattered every assumption you had every assumption you had about life about your worth about purpose about hope about love and I don't know why that happens maybe at some point we think God got tired of us sitting all the time so we begin to doubt his love and therefore his love and the cross loses its awe on our hearts or maybe our religiosity has somehow made us feel like we've graduated from the gospel so we're no longer shocked or amazed by it I don't know, I don't know what it is all I know is at some point the cross can very easily stop oozing out of us And other earthly identities take over. Don't forget who you are, Christian. At the deepest core level, you are not your job. You are not your bank account. You're someone who's been raised from the dead by a crucified king. That's who you are. You can't keep suppressing an identity like that in here for too long before it starts messing with you. It's got to come out. Be who you are. But it's not that easy. And the second reason why I think we suppress Christ in here, we see in verses four to six. Not only because our other earthly identities tend to take over, but also, I think, because we're scared of being cricketured by the world. Leads us to our second point. When we think of a gospel sharer, right, of somebody who consistently shares a gospel, an evangelist or in Indonesia, right? I think most of us, at least, think about a particular kind of stereotype or a caricature pops in our heads of what this kind of person, what kind of vibe this person has or should have, right? Maybe somebody on a slick suit on TV, maybe someone who knocks door to door, I'm not saying those are wrong ways to share the gospel. I'm just saying that the caricature that I think most people have about somebody who shares the gospel or an evangelist or a penitent or whatever, it's not usually a flattering one. Many picture overbearing, manipulative people who try to force their exclusive beliefs on you. So we don't want to be that, right? I don't want to be viewed as that. So we hide the gospel in here. We don't share it. But when we read verses 4 to 6 of our passage today, we'll see that Paul was the furthest from this caricature. First, he wasn't overbearing. He wasn't. He was bold, but he wasn't overbearing. Someone is overbearing when all they do is talk, 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 and not listen, okay? That makes you overbearing. But look at verse 4. Paul here wasn't just talking. Look at verse 4. It says he was reasoning and persuading. He reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. To be reasonable and persuasive means you're not just shoving the gospel down people's throats. It means you're not just talking, talking, talking. You're being very careful, very specific about the way you engage people. Look at how specific Paul's persuasion was. Go to verse 5. Paul was talking to the Jews, right? And what was he specifically saying to these Jews? He was saying that the Christ in the Old Testament was Jesus, is Jesus. It points to Jesus. That means... Paul knew that the Jewish people he's talking to already had a concept of the Christ or the Messiah in the Old Testament. He knew that the Jews held the Old Testament in high regard. So all he needed to do is show them how the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. That was his approach to the Jews in verse 5. He's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus completes the story. See, Paul knew his audience, you see. He knew where they were coming from. He respected their belief system enough to engage with it, to listen to them. Persuasively, he wasn't just aimlessly shouting things, okay? He wasn't overbearing. Two, he wasn't manipulative. Look at verse 6. When the people rejected the gospel, what did Paul say? He said, all right, fine. Your blood is in your own hands. I'm innocent of it. You see, he didn't say, hmm, okay, okay the people here don't like the gospel so how can i change and tweak the message here a little bit to where i can keep them around and get more people to come he didn't do that he said okay you don't you don't like the gospel that i've done my part he would have been manipulative if he changed the message a good question that the church today including ours need to ask has our methods of persuasion crossed over to manipulation don't do that stick to the gospel He wasn't overbearing, he wasn't manipulative, and third, he wasn't exclusive. After the Jews rejected the gospel, look at where he said he'll go to in verse 6. He said, alright, you reject the gospel, I'm going to go to the Gentiles, I'm going to go to the non-Jews. You see, the gospel is the least exclusive way to view the world. It says that God is for anyone, not just for one particular race, not just for one particular kind of people, it's for Jews, Greeks, whoever. See, most religions say and and I think it's fair to say this I think they would agree with this too most religions would say that only those who are able to obey get in and I want to propose to you that that's actually a very exclusive way to view the world the gospel says no one can get in not by themselves but through Christ all are welcomed you see very inclusive Paul, in verses 4 to 6, is depicted as being the furthest away from that caricature that we often have in our heads we need to become if we share the gospel to others. He was reasonable. He wasn't manipulative. He was persuasive. He was, he was inclusive. And the key is to truly love the people that you're sharing the gospel to because love listens Love seeks to understand. Paul loved, listened, understood. When he was talking to the Jews, he quoted the Old Testament. But last week, you remember in chapter 17, when he was talking to the Greeks, what did he quote? Not the Old Testament. He quoted what? Their own poets, it said. He read their literature. He got to know them. He was curious about them. You see, if you really care about the people in your community, in your family, you'll engage. And if you do that, they might just find you reasonable and persuasive. Okay. But, our passage continues. No matter how persuasive you become, it's no guarantee. Because what we see happening next is that even after all of Paul's effort to reason and persuade with people about the gospel, he was still misunderstood, which leads us to our last big reason of why I think we suppress our love for the cross deep in here and hide it from the world is because we know deep inside that no matter how persuasive we are, it is still very likely that people will misunderstand us. It is. It happened here. Let's go to our last point. We don't want to be misunderstood and abandoned. Okay. So Paul was preaching the gospel, persuading people, reasoning with people, and he got some good responses, right? Titus Justice in verse 7. Crispus and other Corinthians in verse 8. They received the gospel. That's great. Everything was going well. Even God in verse 10 encouraged Paul to keep going. What did God say? Look at verse 10. God said, I will be with you. That's his promise. Keep going. I'll be with you. But little did Paul know he would really need this promise because he's about to experience a lot of heavy pushback. Okay? Let's look at verse 11. After a while, it says that some of the Jews in that area got really tired of Paul. They were fed up. They were done with Paul and his gospel. So verse 12 says that they dragged Paul to a tribunal. A tribunal is just a legal Roman place of judgment. There'd be this throne and somebody will sit on it and judge everybody, a Roman representative. And the Roman representative in Corinth at the time was named Gallio. That's what verse 12 says. The Jews brought Paul to Gallio and said, this man needs to be punished. Why? Look at verse 13. Because, they said, Paul was persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. The law is the Old Testament. Paul was telling people to worship God contrary to the law. So the Jews were blaming Paul for preaching a gospel that goes against the Old Testament. Now, this is very important. Don't skip over this too quickly. Remember what we talked about in our second point earlier? Is that what Paul said in verse 5? Did Paul say that the gospel goes against the Old Testament? Or that the gospel completes the Old Testament? Completes, fulfills. Look at verse 5 again. Paul said that the Old Testament Christ, or Messiah, is Jesus. He's saying Jesus doesn't go against the story. He's the second half of the story. All the stories, all the heroes in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus, the ultimate hero. It's like the song, the song we sung earlier, before the sermon. Remember that? It said, Christ is the true and better. The true and better what? Well, the true and better Adam. Whereas we all died because of Adam's disobedience, now we all can live because of Jesus' obedience. He's the true and better Isaac, who climbed a much more frightening mountain and carried a much heavier piece of wood. And when he got to the top of that mountain, he didn't have a substitute lamb to replace him. Why not? Because he was the substitute lamb. He was the one that was going to die for us. He's the true better David, a shepherd king who not only risked his life in battle against a gigantic problem that we all have, which is sin, but this shepherd king gave his life so that we, his people, through his death may live and forever be. Jesus doesn't go against Adam or Isaac or David or Moses or Abraham or the Old Testament. He's the conclusion of those people. He's the substance of those people. They're just shadows. He's the true and better from beginning to end. Christ the story. His the glory. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what Paul preached to the Jews in verse 5. But they twisted his words they misunderstood him they misquoted him they falsely represented him and gallio the roman ruler judging this case remember he misunderstood paul as well look at verse 14 gallio said look if this is about wrongdoings or vicious crime then i'll do something about it but because but since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law deal with it yourselves You see what he's saying there? Gallio thinks that this whole issue between Paul and the Jews was just about different wording, like in the Jewish religion. It's just semantics, Gallio's saying. You guys figure this out yourself. Definitions, names, words in your own law, deal with it internally. So if the Jews misunderstood the gospel as being against Old Testament Judaism, Gallio misunderstood the gospel as being the same exact thing as Old Testament Judaism. Paul's misunderstood from every front. And because of that, the Christians in that town received no legal protection from Gallio. Look at verse 17. When the mob beat up one of the Christians in that area named Sosthenes, Gallio did nothing. He just let it happen. It's an internal issue, he said. Everyone there misunderstood the gospel and persecuted those who loved it. So look, do your best. Be reasonable. Be persuasive. Engage. But just know that even then, the gospel that you love will very likely still be misunderstood by the world. And people may think that you're promoting something you're not, and you're going to experience pushback because of it. And when you experience that pushback, you'll be tempted to hide again who you are. You'll be tempted to crawl back into the dark corner of your heart and shove Christ back in there and hide. But before you do so, remember the promise that God gave Paul in verse 10 of our passage today, before he was abandoned by the city he was in. God told Paul, I'm with you. I'm with you. The whole world might rally against you. I am with you. Don't shove Jesus back in. Don't suppress the cross that's begging to ooze out of you. I know it is. Because even if the whole world's against you, Christ is with you. He's been with you all along. When the world rejected him 2,000 years ago, he stuck around. When the whole world misunderstood and abandoned him, he stuck around. They even threatened him with a cross. But he still chose to stick around. Why? So that he might have you. So that you may be his. He said no to the world to be with you. Go. Be who you are. Show the world the cross of Christ that I know is embedded in every crack and corner of your heart. And no matter who misunderstands and abandons you, he is forever with you. He is forever yours. Let's pray. Father, you know how hard it is for us to live out our heavenly identity. In this world, there are so many other things that's shoving itself in our face. Things like money, things like social standing, things like Instagram followers, things like career. None of these things are bad things in themselves, but oh my, do we not so often make them ultimate? Do we not so often make them who we are instead of what you've done for us upon that cross? remind us Father that we are your children first and foremost uh, 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 bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ let that truth seep deep into the hearts of the people here who are listening to your word through your spirit awaken them from their slumber, awaken me from my slumber and launch us again to who we truly are that we may live in a way that glorifies you to the world out there Thank you for Christ in us. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.